Hey you, yeah you, put the headphones in and crank it. You're listening to Trans Talk Raw. I'm Nikki Marie Dawn and I'm with my co-host Terry Allen. We're a couple of trans survivors, rocking the airways, bringing you our lived experiences, opinions, and a ton of info about being transgender. This is episode 65, and today we're talking with a lovely couple from Toronto, Canada. Denise and Sophie have been together since the 80s and have been through so much together, including Sophie's transition. Sophie is a division chief in the fire department, breaking down all barriers in an alpha male profession. It's a great story. How does a fuck you kind of thing? I got you again. That's very interesting. <laughs> I knew I was going to get you again. I knew it was coming and I hit the, uh, at the perfect time because it was fuck you because I get your every time, girls, <laughs> swearing just as I hit the record button for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a very, you know, uh, that's our history. That is, that is the that real is history of it. Yeah. Did you ever consider leaving the South, Terry? Oh, let's see. Um, I don't know how many times a day. <laughs> and she knows. I, I have. It's not a simple, it's not a simple thing. So it's not. I'm 58 years old. I'm trans. Getting a job just as 50 years old is, is yeah. an issue of ageism. Oh, and then being trans on, on top of that brings in another layer. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. We already have the we already have the Trans Underground Railroad set up for her whenever she's ready. It's she just has to take the step. That's all. So, and we we have another we have other American friends that have said the same thing. And if uh, Trump had gotten reelected, that uh, you know they were they, they wanted to come north, and they were they were serious about it. They really were. Mm-hmm. They know that the fear was palpable. It uh, <laughs> really feel sorry for people situations like that where and i am i am about as far as you can be from the canadian border <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so it's not a simple drive no to even get there or flight or whatever and but it was always on my mind nikki and i had talked about it if, if trump had gotten elected it would have been a plan figuring out a way to get to canada basically. Yep. otherwise i would i would more than likely either be dead or in a concentration camp yeah, she would have been. She, she had a place to stay and everything, so she was safe. She could have just made it. But the sad part is, and here's the stupid thing: when we talk about this, we always talk about trans people trying to get to Canada to be saved. And that, I can't tell you how many people, and because of just Alberta, the situation of it and what's going on, a whole bunch of Trump supporters want to uh, immigrate to Canada and in Alberta because they feel that they've been, you know, betrayed in the U.S. and they want to come to a, a Canada in a province that supports them. Oh, my God. I'm just like, really? Oh, this Nikki, hurts. You were, Nikki, you were thinking about maybe moving to Toronto for at some point. Is that still something you're considering? Um, it, it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it. But if I do something along those lines, it's going to be that I come down on a... Uh, I'll have two places. I'll have my place in Calgary, and then I'm also going to have a place in Toronto as well. Um, The other thing is, too, because I do uh, contracts with the Canadian government, 
um, and that as well, I'm close. To, I would be closer to Ottawa. So the media hub yep. is in Toronto. The government is in Ottawa, and that Ottawa. too. And and so that was kind of why I was going to do all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, but then I'm going to be as soon as COVID. I'd be down there actually, right, probably right now, a lot more. But it's just purely because of COVID as to why I'm not. Well, we'd love. To yeah, and who knows when that's going to get as we can travel. We'd love to. Truly better. Yeah. Well, and that's the big thing too. I'm. That's the biggest thing that I'm having difficulty with is before COVID, I used to travel all the time. If it wasn't for COVID, I would have already seen Terry probably three times by now, but just can't do it. And now because mm-hmm. Biden is in, which is not a, that's a great thing. Yes. But man, between him and Trudeau now, they have got that border screwed down so hard. If unless yep. it's an, a family emergency or anything else, nobody can travel across the border except for, um, you know, food tr- uh, distribution and that sort of thing. But outside of that, that's it. So we're screwed. Well, you know, Trudeau was the first foreign leader that Biden called mm-hmm. as president. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So that, that was cool. That was, that was cool. Which is good. We are on the border of, you know, you are well, supposed yeah. to be our big, big brothers or big sisters or whatever the heck you want to call them. Yeah, we almost became the Nazi sibling. You know. Yeah, well, true. Um, let's see. So I'm going to get started, ladies. So, Terry, do you want to give them the hoedown on what we're going to be doing while I get this set up? Yeah, of course. The, the um, first question always is, you know, how did you choose your name? Um, so think think of that. Think of that. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have don't, to say it now. Tell it now. Do it when we go think live. That'd it. be the first question. And then we're going to let you, you know, tell your story, go through it, um, talk about trans, how you knew you were trans, when that happened, go through your story, how y'all worked it out as a couple and remained a, a loving couple and had a successful marriage. I mean, it's it's amazing that 55% of marriages that have a trans spouse actually succeed whereas 50 only 50 percent of cis marriages succeed so you know please please let us know how you made this a success and continue to make it a success because mine did not so so i'm envious (laughs) envious of that uh nikki's did not of course either so there's a lot of us that didn't so yeah just we will interject the periods ask you questions but we're going to let you talk and tell your story so no pressure we're not scripted whatever you say is what will go out and will be recorded so you know if you want to keep that in mind but we are trans talk raw so you can be as plain as you want and that is okay we're not offended (laughs) in any shape form or fashion that we really appreciate about you guys is you're just so transparent and so honest. And we really love the casual conversational style of it. It's not a, it's not a documentary, but the information that comes out, I think in this manner is so helpful to so many people. So well, we really you. appreciate that you're there and that y'all let us come on today. And well, we really appreciate y'all coming on. And it's wonderful to have you. Thank you. Uh, and uh, we're just really looking forward to this. Really. Yeah. Fun. All right, ladies, we're going to go live here. So I've just hit the go live button, um, which is fine. 
just whatever. Uh, as usual, we <laughs> always start off just doing whatever we end up doing. So, uh, you know, I'm just waiting until it says finally and I get the uh, full thing going on here. So here we go. Yeah, it's showing live on Facebook. I'm checking. Yes, we are. And we are on. So everybody, welcome to Trends Talk Raw live on Saturday morning. Woo-hoo. Hope everybody's doing well today. Um, obviously, I mean, uh, you know, we have another lovely couple that uh, has been listening to our show for a while and uh, they I, we kind of reached out to them or they kind of reached out to us and they said yeah we want to share our story come on let's do this all of that sort just, of stuff so just gluttons for punishment yes, I, I know, I know. Right? Yeah. And you're you're very brave to come on to this show you do realize that right we don't but bite real hard either. we don't we know we only nibble Nibble. <laughs> okay, we don't we don't actually bite. We just there's nibble. nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so awesome. So I mean, obviously, um, you know, uh, you two have been together for quite a while. I mean, and uh, it's amazing on the fact of that. You know, uh, you are a couple that has uh, you know gone through this, have been able to stay together, uh, seem very close in that. So would love to. Uh, hear your story. So Terry, what's the first question? I always ask the first question, but you get to ask the first question today. How's that? Okay. Uh, I think it's Denise. Is that correct? Who's I'm your... Denise. This is Sophie. Sophie. Okay. That's it's Sophie. hard to, your names are flipped on my screen. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. uh, Sophie, how did, how did you choose your name? How did I choose my name? Well, we put together, it was, it was, it was a combined effort. We put together a, a short list of maybe 20 names that we both uh, liked. Now, I have to preface that by saying that we're uh, a bit of Francophiles. We do like uh, French uh, French culture and we, we travel a lot to France. So a lot of the names that we put together were um, either um, French heritage or French spelling. So uh, we, we had a few and we, we whittled it down to maybe five and then we, we decided on Sophie, and uh, we both loved it. And then uh, we had to decide on uh, a middle name. So, uh, again, the Francophile uh, kind of uh, bent on it. Um, my mother's name was Margaret, so we decided to go with Marguerite as, uh, as a kind of a, a to her. A tribute, yeah. yeah. That flows well, too, Sophie Marguerite. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. That does. Yeah, very, very nice. I like that. Yeah, it was, and it was, it was, it wasn't a version of my previous name, which a lot of people I know do. It was very different different. from that. So, uh, and so when a lot of people heard it, a lot of our friends and 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 and, um, coworkers, they were like, "Wow, that's really different." So, um, yeah, we 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 really love it, and everyone says that they like it. So, um, yeah, we tried. Really pretty, really nice. I calling nice. her. Yeah, I would, I would call her by different names for a while and see what she liked, what she didn't like. I told her practice the signature and see yeah, if you yeah. know how it looks when you write it, and mm-hmm. it just kind of you kind of evolved. And one of the things that uh, I think has worked really well for us as a couple as we've gone through this is that we've been very consistent in discussing sort of all the major aspects of Sophie's transitions because it's really three it's her transition mine and ours together um so we've been really really consistent in talking about all the major things so you know the name's an important thing I have to call her that for the rest of our lives so 
it wanted I wanted it to be something I liked as well and we just sort of just naturally whittled it down the list as after a while I don't like that that doesn't sound so great and then we ended up with the first name and as you say the second name is a tribute to your mom yeah so and we did actually we did actually also go and we looked up what the um the, the the top 100 names of my birth year were. Mm. I think a lot of <laughs> yes. You know, that's that's a very good idea. A lot of trans yeah, it is. Uh, individuals don't look at that, and they'll pick a name that really doesn't jive with their age. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. She's not a Trixie, right? Like so. right, or yeah, or Tiffany, or you know, exactly. or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I did the same thing. I went back. Of course, I was Terry before. And I just changed the letter, <laughs> substituted an I for Y. But I did go back and look what names in Alabama, uh, what girl, how many girls were named Terry at the time, you know. And uh, it was like 53rd most popular name for girls. And uh, Terry for boys was like 30 something. So it was it was close to being a split. But I was like, okay, this, this, this works. It's not out there or something. Yeah. yeah. And it's so cool to hear that you, um, and it sounds like it's not only just the names, it sounds like the whole transition and everything has been really uh, a combined effort between the two of you. So mm -hmm. there's not been any real, well, I see it this way and you see it that way kind of thing. You've kind of worked together uh, mm -hmm. to make it work. So how long has it been since, uh, since you came out, Sophie? Well, let me first say that we've been living together since 1988. So we've been together a long time. <laughs> right. I, I, and I haven't killed her yet, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a plus. <laughs> I finally came out to uh, Denise in, uh, I believe it was 2003. So quite a few years ago now. What are we? That's 18 years ago. So, and just to preface, we've been living together since then, but we got married in 91. Yes, so we've been married since 91. Yes, we were quite young. Yes. So uh, 2003, uh, I came out uh, to Denise. It's been a long process, a lot of talking, a lot of uh, research. Um, and I think one of the things that have has helped make it uh, successful uh, for our relationship is that it wasn't uh, an instantaneous thing. It wasn't something that... Uh, it was, uh, hey, what's new? And and you have to deal with it all in, you know, in a matter of hours. Uh, it, it's been a slow rollout and um, it might be a, a unique um, situation because of that, but. Yeah, Sophie at the time when she told me um, and we sort of had that initial shock and I think, you know, basically she was, she was sort of gonna leave because I think she thought that was the easier way out like I'll leave um and I'll just say this isn't working da, 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 I'll leave and then I basically forced out the reason right she did she beat me and uh... <laughs> um because I think I think that was just a self-protection mode for her like if I don't have to go into do too many details we just split you go your way I'll go mine um but I knew there was more to the story than just she was unhappy so um after we had the conversation and the initial few weeks of, of talking about it, getting through it, and we made the decision that, you know, for me personally, my love for this person superseded what her gender was. And we have a good marriage. We're good friends. We spend a lot of time together. And it was worth, in my mind, 
staying and seeing how it worked out. So, but then the whole topic of being trans became a non-issue for about 13 or 14 years. Yeah. Uh, Sophie at the time was, can I say what you do? Sure. So Sophie at the time is working in the fire department as a firefighter, you know, very traditionally um, male dominant, very uber, uber masculine firefighter, yeah, masculine, homophobic, transphobic, anything not macho male phobic, really. Um, and I think at the time that she came out, I think she thought then that just the just the disclosure would be enough to relieve her dysphoria. And then it sort of went on simmer. And we lived, you know, those 13 or 14 years just normally. Um, and then I think it flared up again, the dysphoria. Well, the dysphoria was always there. Um, and it, if you don't deal with it, at least, at least in my situation, it gets worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. It just keeps bottling up. And I guess I got to the point where I realized well, it was being a, becoming a crisis for me, and um, it needed to be dealt with. So it kind of moved things along, and uh, you don't really have control of the situation. You, you, you get to the point where you have to deal with it. Some people get to that point earlier in life. Some people get to, to that point a lot later in life. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for me, it was well into middle age. Uh, you know, I was in my 40s at the time. And, um, mm -hmm. but it, uh, we finally had to deal with it. We dealt with it as yeah. a couple. Right. And we, we did That's it really right. slowly, you know, it started with basically in the house, you know, we do the, it was safe to do a pedicure because you've always got socks and shoes on, um, mm -hmm. you know, the manicure, maybe not because you were going out, uh, you know, should dress, uh, feminine in the house for a while, but not outside and, then just slowly, slowly, slowly building up over time. And I think, um, I don't know for me so much, but I think for you, it was because of the person that you are, that sort of slower methodical approach was comfortable for you. Mm -hmm. Instead of just mm -hmm. like, you know, wake up tomorrow and I'm somebody different. Um, but everything, we started going through the, the steps of, you know, changing her gender markers and picking the name, um, talking about, what surgeries were going to be on the table and timelines for thing like that. The biggest hurdle was what to do about work. Right. Uh, so yeah, she, that's yeah. usually the big one. Yeah. One mm -hmm. of the big ones. Paycheck. How do we continue this paycheck and we come out? Yeah. Yeah. She did come out uh, a year full time, except at work for almost a year before you decided to come out at work. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it, and that was, that was, became an untenable situation, obviously. You can't live two separate lives. It doesn't, yeah, it's, it's beyond stressful. Beyond oh, stressful. for everybody. It doesn't work. For everybody. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's, that's the Coles Nose version of uh, our life, yeah. <laughs> right. And she, she came out at work in uh, April 2018, and we were, really prepared for it not to go well, given the environment. Um, the city, as her employer, although they have a diversity program, um, because it sounds good, um, in my opinion, I don't think that they really knew how to handle this. And for Sophie herself, it was really important for her to be the one who told her own crew. She didn't want some union person or 
HR person or anybody yeah. else, yeah. right? Yeah, so and actually, yeah I'd, I'd like to, it was, um, so I actually changed my name and gender marker in December of 17. And this was probably three or four months before I came out at work. So it was, it was a tenable <laughs> situation. How, how did you do that? Yeah, no kidding. And then, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I would say how you legally do that and it not leak out to somebody who you work with. How did, yeah. how did that not happen? Yeah, oh so <laughs> I, got, um, I had approached HR actually at City Hall um, because I needed to approach someone in confidence. And, and uh, we're very lucky in Toronto that we have an um, inclusivity and diversity branch in our uh, HR uh, division at City Hall. And um, I was assisted by some very knowledgeable people who helped to shepherd me through the process and advocated for me to my senior staff, to, to my chain of command. And uh, they made things go very smoothly. Um, so um, come April, uh, after we got all our T's crossed and our I's dotted, uh, as Denise said, I'm, Everything went very smoothly uh, at work, uh, much better than I thought it would, um, and uh, it's been it's it's been a positive experience uh, since then. I'm very lucky that I live in a very cosmopolitan and very progressive city uh, as mm -hmm. Toronto, and I do realize there's many parts uh, of Canada. And, and other parts of the world that are listening to us that uh, aren't as lucky as we are to live in such a um, progressive area. Yeah. And I, 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 did, um, I did know that uh, I had that in my back pocket that I was gonna, you know, I had the, the rules and laws in my back pocket that were going to make life a bit easier if it came to that. And I do realize that many people listening don't have that, unfortunately. And um, mm -hmm. so anything yeah. I say, yeah. it's prefaced by that and our luck. And, and even Nikki, you know, we were talking about where Nikki lives in another part of Canada. Um, a lot more difficult in some instances than what we've been uh what we've been experiencing here. Yeah. Well, it's one of the things in Alberta. I mean, most people that are trans or even part of the LGBTQ community usually move from Calgary to either Vancouver or Toronto just to, because of that reason. And I mean, obviously everybody knows, and I've talked about it before, is Calgary's really redneck, right? I mean, it's all... <laughs> I mean, our, uh, you know, when you see people in the downtown core wearing cowboy boots and a cowboy hat in the middle of January, that kind of gives you an indication of, as to what kind of, uh, you know, with the way our society is in just in Alberta alone. So, yeah. So, Sophie, I'm curious. Um, I mean, obviously, you came out later in life. Uh, when was your first inclination as to who you truly were inside? What age did you think that was maybe about? My very first memories. It's been with me all my life. Uh, and I'm sure other people can, uh, you know, they have the same experience. You know, well, how old are you when you start remembering what you, your memories are, three or four years old? I, I've never not had those thoughts, those memories. And and I, I, I've said to people, I've said to my therapist, it, the situation is that um, unless I was actively thinking of something else, that was the only thing in my mind. 
So I think a lot of people that don't suffer from dysphoria can't fathom that. that no, they don't have a clue. No, that's, yeah, exactly. It's why we... It's, it's why we always say, you know, if uh, we could ever do anything, I'd love to have you live in my shoes for a month just to, a month. just month. so you can feel exactly what it's like and what we go through. Because you're absolutely right. Right from childhood, it's something that's ingrained in us because it is who we are on the inside. We can't control it. We can't stop it. It is what it is. Right. So how did you how did you deal with it uh, during life? Like, I mean, coming up through high school and all of that. What did you how did you deal with all of that in, in, in your thoughts? Well, I, I think we're basically all around the same age. I grew up in the 70s, went to high school in the 80s. And uh, it, Canada and the States were different societies back then. It was very um, homophobic. And, and transphobia wasn't even on the radar screen. You know, you never, you never heard about that. It was, it was all it, it was all negative news articles and negative uh, things in print about the, the gay community and, and mm-hmm. uh, you learn pretty quick as a kid survival mechanisms. I think all, all children are born with the innate sense of survival. So you learn pretty quick from what you see on the news and what you hear people say to keep your mouth shut and, 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 and live a lie. And, and mm-hmm. as you know what will happen if you don't. And, you, and you quickly learn what's acceptable and what, is, what is not as a no. child. <laughs> this is bad. I won't do that again. Yes, mm. I and, should and, be doing this, even though I don't like it. Yes, and in Toronto at the time, in the seventies and the early eighties, uh, the police were actively raiding uh, gay establishments. Mm-hmm. It was in front of the news, and and it, it's you know you still in in the media in Britain you still have um, you, you still have a very homophobic and transphobic media over there, and it was much worse back in the seventies and eighties in, in Canada and mm-hmm. Toronto. So you grow up and you see that and you go, well, I'm not going to su- subject myself to that. There's, there's no way in hell. Um, so as Canada has progressed, as our societies progressed and become more tolerant and, and the laws have been enshrined to help us and protect us, you kind of slowly come out of that egg and you become the person you truly are. Toronto... You know, even 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to be successful in my career by coming out. And I, I know that uh, as a, for a fact. So, right. And if I could just do a shout out here, give a little moment of pride. Um, so Sophie recently was promoted and she is the first female district chief on City of Toronto Fire Department in the Suppression Division. And to the best of our knowledge, she is the first Trans District Chief of a Fire Department in all of Canada. Woo! Wow. Go girls. Congrats. <laughs> Big time. Yeah, I mean, it's, isn't it a, it's, I, I really think for people our age, uh, it's it's a role model thing for, for younger trans people who need to see people, trans people, being successful in various occupations and various trades who can show uh, younger people, yes, you can do this. It's it's possible. You will be accepted. And, and you are both in similar situations where in your more male-dominant um, occupations than female-dominant, 
right? So you both have had your struggles there mm-hmm. as well, trying to make your mark in inherently male promoted mm. careers. I get, I get it. I'm, I'm in the most male dominated as it gets. I got ass cracks all over the place, ass cracks, contractors, <laughs> right? Everything else. And of course, Terry is obviously in, you know, geology, which is maybe a little bit different, but yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a few women, women geologists. So it's not, not real bad, but still very masculine male dominated yeah. field. I, I wanted to ask, go back, you know, to your dysphoria. How, how would you describe the dysphoria Mm. you had how how did that feel to you because i mean so many people describe it in so many different ways how how did it feel to you people have often asked me to describe what dysphoria is people that don't understand i've never felt it themselves the best description i've ever heard is it's a homesickness that never leaves it's Mm. like you, you, you you are someplace that you would rather be someplace else. And while you can be successful with homesickness and you can make a successful life of yourself in this other dimension on this other planet, it's not really where you want to be. So once you get back to where you want to be or you go there for the first time, you say, yes, this is this is where I belong. This is where I should be. This is where I want to be. And that, that, that's the best description I can give of it. Hmm. Yeah. For, for me, my dysphoria was a huge dissonance. When it was at its worst, I would feel like I was going to vibrate into a million pieces. Just huge physical and mental uh, dissonance. It was, it was horrible. I used to describe it to the people. I play guitar, and I would tell people, well, it's like playing a, a musical instrument that's completely out of tune all the time, and nobody else hears it but you. Mm. They tell you you're just fine. And why can't you continue playing that way? So when you were having your worst days, how did you get past those days to get to the next day? I looked at it as like, I, just to get through the day. It was extremely difficult. A lot of times I just wanted to fall down dead. Mm. It, was, it was completely horrible. It was all I could do to function a lot of times because the dysphoria sometimes would hit me. Just it felt like a freight train hit me out of nowhere and it would go from being like a dull roar to just a raging forest fire uh, dissonance. And most of the times it would be to dress and it would quell it if I could dress for a while. Um, I was, I mean, some people look at that as being a fix, but and maybe it was to a degree. I used to talk to my therapist about that. It's like, how is this not an addiction? You know, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't. It wasn't an addiction, but it really would quell my dysphoria for a while if I got to dress as a woman for for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I'd be okay for for a while before before it got bad again. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd rather had the dysphoria of homesickness. <laughs> that would be preferable to what what I had. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't have that anymore. I feel completely tuned to my instruments and I never, never have that kind of dysphoria anymore. Every now and then a a little bit of physical dysphoria just because of, you know, which I don't think is much different than any other woman has about her body. Uh, A little bit of body dysphoria, but not really gender dysphoria. As Nikki and I say, we are trans survivors. 
we have transitioned, we have survived. Oh my God, if, I mean, if there was ever a huge, amazing project that gets completed, it's a gender transition for sure of all the stuff that we go through and changing our name and changing our look, and changing our clothes and changing our social standing and at work and everything. Who wouldn't want to hire us? I mean, my God, to, to have a successful completion of a project like that, we make wonderful employees. Oh, yeah, definite project managers. You see, and the other thing is, it's yeah, funny, because right. I'm actually, everybody is the opposite to what I am in a way, because when I was a kid, like you had mentioned, it was illegal to, it was illegal to be gay. They were shutting down clubs, everything else. Mm-hmm. Who, what am I doing? I'm dressing up and going out in public at like 16 years old. I'm going to my high school prom as a woman. Uh, you know, I'm trying and attempting to do all of this. And I didn't do it. Yeah, I didn't do it. Yeah, I did it the hard way with that. Where um, it was so bad, I got beat up so much. There was so much stuff going on, you know, all of that that I had to go and take it back and shove it in the box. Which I think sometimes I wish I would have done right from the very beginning because I had the ability to go and explore and see what it was truly like to be myself. And that's all I wanted to be. But then came to the realization that society was not going to accept me for who I am. So now I had to take who I was, stuff it back in the box and really suffer heavily for, from a dysphoric perspective, always knowing that everything was completely and totally wrong with what I was doing. But I had the choice, do it this way and die or su- try to survive. That's how I got into all of the heavy drug addiction. That's how I got into everything else because I knew I couldn't portray or be myself as to who I was. And then mm-hmm. I went the solid alpha male way, trying to overcompensate everything, had to try to be the tough person. You know, so here it is. It's like, well, here's this cute little uh, girly girl trying to be an alpha male and live it through that way. And I think that's why, you know, 10 to 15 years or 10 or 12 years of my life were absolutely hell after that because I so badly wanted to explore it that was the other thing I mean obviously I you know I've mentioned that I've you know I've had the conversion therapy and all of that too which was absolutely horrible but still trying to just be myself even at six years old you know so I'm I'm curious you guys have seems to have that have a great relationship um, which is fantastic and I mean obviously it (laughs) is very rare um, that you get that opportunity to have mm. that. So well, I, I, I want us to ask this because I think it's always so important for our audience to hear. What do you think were the major reasons why you had the ability to be together and all of a sudden just truly work it through? What tips could you give our listenership that you think worked the best for you and what could they maybe go with if they're maybe going through or thinking about coming out at this point? All right. Well, you speak for your perspective being the person transitioning and then I'll speak as the, from the perspective of the partner. Okay. So I think one of the things that helped us was the process ended up being so long. Like I said, it was like 18 years, believe it or not. So we had a lot of time and Denise had a lot of time to get used to the idea and to think the idea through. And I think that timeline really helped. And again, we had a lot of time invested into our relationship as well. We had been together when I first told her, we had been together at that point for 15 years. So that that was also important where, you know, we, we had a lot invested into this relationship and we both wanted it to work too. Um, I often think that, if a marriage falls apart because a, a partner transitions, 
maybe that is the final straw in a lot of cases, and maybe that is the 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 spark that lights the fuse that was waiting to be lit. So luckily, we didn't have that spark uh, waiting to be lit, and and we were able to work through it together. I, I from what I've heard, most marriages don't survive it, and. Um, that's understandable. It's completely understandable. It's not what you sign up for, but you never really know what you're signing up for, do you, when you get married? <laughs> um, so there's there's always going to be something that hits you from, you know, cross-checks you, as they say in hockey. Um, that's my perspective. I think the time... Hockey? What's, what's that again? Hockey? We have football down here. <laughs> <laughs> tackle. Tackle. Let's go with tackle then. <laughs> and what's your perspective, Denise? Um, I, I agree that, you know, it was nice to sort of not have her go upstairs, you know, one night to bed as her gender assigned at birth and then come down the next morning fully kitted out. Um, but I think you'll agree that I, I pushed you to move forward with stuff quite frequently, not quickly, but it'd be, I would be pushing you going, okay, let's move forward a little bit more. In the sense that, um, okay, that's a that's a little unusual. That is unusual. Most of the time, the spouse is like, "Slow down, slow down, slow yeah. down." Because I knew that she needed to move forward to, um, you know, quell the dysphoria or improve it. So I knew she needed to take these actions. By her nature, she's a little, uh, I don't, not slower, Reserve. more cautious, reserved, and more cautious. Um, not as much now that she's done this trailblazing, but um, I mean, we met each other in 1980 and sat beside each other in geography class and shared boxes of Smarties. Nikki, you'll know what Smarties are. <laughs> but, I know what Smarties are. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I like go. Smarties. Yeah. So, you know, we, we've known each other. We didn't, we didn't actually date in, in high school. We were just, you know, those five years of high school, we were just in the same grade, in the same grade, oh. in a few classes together. We're friendly. Some of our friend groups intersected, some of them didn't. Um, but she's always been a little quieter and a little reserved. And I knew that to make her happier, which would in turn then make our marriage stronger and better, because of course, when she was feeling very dysphoric, not intentionally, but of course that would come out and you know we, we would both have bad days. Um, so I would say, okay, you know what? One of the funniest things I used to say to her, so you know, she'd, She'd wear the negligee to bed, you know, the little frilly bathrobe in the morning. And she'd go to get the paper from the front door back in the days when you didn't read papers online. Um, and I'd say to her, just open the door. Like, you don't have to go out. Just open the door and stick your arm out and grab the paper. And she wouldn't do it, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that, somebody's going to see me. Somebody's going to yeah. see me. I know they're going to be standing outside the door. That's her arm. Yeah, she wouldn't go there. So I tried to encourage and support her to, to move along at, at a pace that was maybe a little, not quick, certainly it was a long no. time, but to keep her moving as opposed to dwelling in the same place for, mm. for too long. And then for me, it was really just examining, you know, within my own heart and my own mind, how, how much I cared about this person and how I felt about how other people would now reflect upon us as a couple because um, it changes the pers- the perspective, obviously. And for me, um, I think one of the things that's unique about Sophie and I compared to some of the stories that you, you hear with partners is 
you know, our relationship is still intact together. We are monogamous. I am cis and hetero. I have not, I have not moved my sexual identity anywhere on this spectrum. Um, and, you know, we're still into each other and, and exclusively. Um, it's not that we're, you know, you don't, just you don't see yourself as a, for a lesbian. Some people do. Um, yes. And so now people, um, now when people meet us as a couple who don't know us, they assume that I'm a lesbian mm-hmm. automatically. And that does not bother me in the least. I don't feel the need to correct them or tell them anything different. I'm quite comfortable in, in my role as Sophie's wife, and I'm quite comfortable saying Sophie is my wife. Um, but there were bad days. You know, there were days when I had to think, you know, am I going to do I want to do this for the rest of my life? Um, one thing I will say as a tip um, is that if you are the partner of a person who is transitioning, find yourself a support system because you need to be able to talk to someone who is not the person transitioning or even other people who have transitioned. You need your own safe space when you want to have those days and say, oh my God, I hate her. I want to kill her. She's, you know, ruining my life kind of thing. You need to have that space, safe space to do it. And unfortunately, yes. I, that's one area that is really, really lacking is support for partners of uh, trans or non-binary people. There's tons mm-hmm. of support groups and resources and everything available out there now for, for trans people, not so much. Um, and I would really like to, to be very similar to what you lovely ladies do, which is a support system for, where your support system for not only trans people, but you're providing education to everybody who tunes in. I'd like to be a support system for partners too, because our perspective mm-hmm. is different. And there are things that uh, we have to go through on our own that are separate from the transition together. For sure. um, oh yeah, when I, would, I tried to find stuff from, from my wife when I started my transition, I, I couldn't hardly find anything. There's not, there's a, there's a few more books and resources out there now. Amanda's book is great. Yeah. Uh, certainly read that as soon as it was published. Uh, and there's a few more coming out. So there's it, but it's the ability to pick up a phone or find, find somebody in your own neighborhood. I would have loved to have been able to, you know, grab somebody and go for a cup of coffee and say, this is what I'm feeling. Um, in Toronto, we did, they did have a small uh, program for partners of, of people. It was an eight week session um, that I went to. You had to be vetted to get into the group, which is good, kept it safe. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I think it was the worst eight week hours of my life. Really? Why? Why? It was, it was run by two really lovely, very young, um, young ladies who had just graduated from university with some type of uh, therapy degrees. And it was textbook, like interpretation of what they had just read in their textbook or what they wrote their dissertation on that's what came out of their their mouth and it was like but okay but that's not real life correct you know real life is it's your change it's your turn to change the cat box can i say to you you know i'm not real fond of that color of lipstick on you um you're dressing too young for your age Perfect example, when Soph had her um, breast augmentation done, 
you know, and we went and we were talking to the surgeon and I've been part of all of her surgical consults. I've been there pre-op, post-op, I'm the nurse. Um, you know, when we did a pre-op consult for the breast augmentation after Dr. And it's Dr. Peter Bray in Toronto, give a shout out to him because he's awesome. Uh, did a beautiful job. But when we did the pre-op, after he talked to Sophie and done the measurements, asked her what he want, he turned around and he faced me directly and he said, what do you want to see? And that to me was a very empowering moment because it, it said that my opinion as the partner mattered as well. And I think that's something that we've worked really hard on to, to Sophie needs to know that my opinion matters as well. And I need to know that she hears my opinion. Yes, totally. Mm -hmm. And I think because we're pretty good about communicating and we keep it open, don't, don't get us wrong. There's been our moments when we go into our silent corners, corners and, you know, silently stew over something that was said or not said or Mm -hmm. those things, but that's a normal marriage. I mean, that's not specific to the trans part, right? That's right. Yeah, it's it's interesting when I hear you talk because in a, I think uh, cis support is so important or the partner mm-hmm. uh, support is very, very important. But I think why it's lacking is, is because so many marriages break up. There's not too many cis uh, women um, that are the spouses that mm-hmm. stick through it. So they don't, there isn't really enough to be able to develop almost a support group in that way. But I do believe that it's really, really needed uh, for I'm, that. I'm shocked in Toronto. Oh, yeah, very, very, very needed. You know, yeah, it is. I run a support group down here for trans people here in um, Southern Alabama. And spouses, of course, are always welcome to come and join the group and come to meetings and everything. And very, very, very few have come over the past five years. I can count on like one hand the number of spouses of trans people that have come to meetings or joined the group or engage in any shape, form, or fashion. And I had really hoped that more would and that they could form a subgroup within the group for spouses, Mm. that they could have their own support and talk to each other and share stories and be a support system into themselves because they need that. We we get it. We have it. As you said, uh, Denise, that there's plenty of stuff around for trans people, but the spouses, there's still very, very little. Yeah. And I, I have to it's say daunting. That, that was the hardest part for me. The hardest part was not watching her struggle through her dysphoria and trying to figure out how to help. And it was not nursing her through post-op procedures. It was none of None of that. The hardest part for me was I didn't have anybody to, Mm -hmm. and I'm shocked in Toronto that, you know, through um, Sherburn Health and the 519 and the various resources that are available in the village of Toronto, that there is not a better support system. These young ladies that ran. That's amazing. Yeah. These young ladies that ran this, this group, they did the best they, they could, but they also had no life experience. You know, one of them was. They uh, had been there and done it. They had not been there and done it. Yeah, I think one of them was, you know, 24, just graduated from university. She was exploring her sexuality and was polyamorous. And then one of them was, you know, maybe 25 or 26. And she had a a lesbian partner. Fine, fair enough. But that's not... How do you take that experience and equate it to my life? You can't. You can't. Yes, married for 26 or 27 years 
to the same person. We weren't, it was felt like we weren't even speaking the same language. And so I did do all eight sessions in the hope that somewhere, somehow I would find something. Um, but yeah, it was not helpful. You know, my, my thanks to them for allowing me to, to be there and for doing, doing the job they did, but they, since that, um, since they have ceased that program, which is unfortunate, because it probably would have been a great place for somebody younger than me. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm old. We're an old, married, boring couple. Well, I mean, not not necessarily youth doesn't necessarily have the answers yeah. no more than than yeah. age. But for a spouse who's gone through it with your spouse, who's transitioning, you have a wealth of experience mm-hmm. and knowledge of how it went and how it goes and the problems and issues that arise in dealing with a spouse who is changing genders. I mean, that is hard one information, hard yeah. one experience. One doesn't yeah. learn that in school. That doesn't come from a textbook. And you can read all the stories and everything that uh, mm. you, you want. But the Talk to somebody who's been there and done it. Right. It's invaluable yeah. to get that experience. Uh, so I, it's not so, somebody who's 25 years old, unless they got married at 18 and, and had a spouse that transitioned and, you know, they've lived that for the last seven years or something. That's that's one thing. But, you know, you've had this for 18 years. That's experience that's not easy to come by at all. Yeah. So, and. Just the idea. Don't sell yourself short. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I was going to say too is that um, I think one of the biggest problems is is just in in how um, women think on how you know they handle that. Like even my partner, we're excellent now. We're great friends. You know all all of that sort of stuff. But even to ask her to come on the show, she won't do it. Um, You know, and the reason being is is I think is that it it a lot of women feel that they are lesser or in you know um afraid to share their story because or embarrassment i mean and you can just go on and on and on on how uh, a woman would feel and you can understand as well like do they really want to come out to the forefront and say yeah my husband changed genders and you know this is the way it was that that is massively difficult for a heterosexual woman to do Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that is maybe the hang up as well is even the even the, the women that do finally come around and accept and just even like my ex, who now we're best friends. She doesn't really want to come on a show publicly and say this is exactly what I went went down. So, Denise, I, you're you're a very special individual, like very special. Um, and I think. We need to get the word out to spouses that it's okay to talk about it. It's okay. You're not going to be frowned upon if you do this. And do you know that kind of thing? But how do you break that barrier down? That's probably the most difficult part. Really difficult. I mean, we, we had a couple on a couple of weeks ago where the spouse is just start, has been transitioning like three or four months. Mm-hmm. And her spouse was on there with her. And it was, it was wonderful. It was a great interview. And she needs that kind of support, and she needs yeah. all that mm-hmm. uh, that you're talking about. Yeah. It's, it's not but, only important, and it's, I think it's essential if, you know, for, to make things work. It's essential that the spouse is included in, in, in every part of it and, and, and you know, included in discussions like this. It's, yeah. uh, you, you are a team. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's not always easy to communicate because there are some days when – 
you have to say some hard things and say, I'm not okay with that, or I don't like that, or you have to take into account how I feel about something because it does massively affect my life. I mean, I had a certain sort of standing for lack of a better word in life because I was married to a, you know, we're a white couple. So already let's start privilege there. We're both employed in good professional jobs. And I was married to a, a, you know, a hot firefighter. And it was like, Ooh, you're married to a hot firefighter, right? Like that's pretty cool. And now I, I still get to say, I'm still married to a hot firefighter. Just this like, <laughs> Context, it's right? A little different, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just a little bit different. Um, but it would have been it would have been great. It's been it's been hard to do my part of this relatively alone. I had to figure out a lot of stuff on my own. I had my own therapist. Um, Sophie had her own therapist, and then we did see a couple therapists together mm-hmm. when necessary. And I think that's such a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we were looking for our therapists, we were looking for therapists who were transfer friendly. Um, Sophie lucked out and got like a phenomenal therapist that she clicked with right from day one. And you've had the same one all along. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a harder time finding one that I clicked with because a lot of times I felt like I was educating them on what it's, well, they could talk about transitioning and they understood what being transgender was and that type of thing. They didn't have the perspective of the, the partner. So a lot of times I felt kind of like I was educating them based on my own experience so I figured a lot of stuff out on my own but I wanted to say a real big thank you actually to you Nikki because how I first got to know who you were is you were post uh, GRS and you were very candid about what you were going through and that to me was like here's this amazing person who is willing to share such a very personal and intimate part of the journey very freely. And I mean, my respect for you in that day went like through the roof because that's a, that's a very private thing that you shared and you shared it very openly and freely. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for having the strength and the bravery to, to do that. Cause that really made me feel better going into, um, as Sophie went into her surgery that I had an idea then of what to expect because mm-hmm. before there really wasn't. I mean, you can read the pamphlet and the surgeon tells you. And um, Soph was in Montreal, same as you, with Dr. Broussard. Um, great doctor, great experience there as well. Um, no complaints there. And they were full of information. But that's not the same as, like, talking about it and seeing it is not the same thing. Yeah. Well, I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that. But the other side is, too, is that that's the whole reason why we do Trans Talk Raw. Yeah. Terry and I have both gone through it. Terry's talked about her personal experiences of everything and the surgeries and all of that too. And we try to be. Sorry, I've missed that part from, from you thus far, but. Uh, yeah, but that. it's, I think, I think the importance of all of this is, is that the more information we can get out to the world, the better that that's really what it boils right. down to. And again, uh, Denise, I, you know, I highly respect, uh, you know, both of you, but you know, we do need to make advances in this regard. One of the things, obviously, mm-hmm. because I deal with, with couples and everything else in this realm, the number one factor for most heterosexual women that have to go through this, 
they even have a difficult time even going to a therapist to talk about this because they somehow see it's a bad reflection upon mm-hmm. them and that they oh, yeah. have something wrong and that it's their, their their situation and issue and all of that. So just getting somebody to go to a therapist to talk about it is really, really difficult. And I would say in uh, one, you know, out of a 10, 10 individuals or 10 heterosexual women that I see or have talked about or that, two will go to a therapist if wow. that. And yeah. that it was like it was like pulling teeth to get my wife yeah. to go to one. So yeah. it, it took a while. Yeah. So when we talk about having that support for the wife, if you can't even get them to go privately to a therapist to talk it through, however are you going to get them to come to a support group when they're feeling going in and thinking that they're facing, oh my gosh, I'll have ridicule. What are people going to think about me? Do you know all of these kinds of things? So I think the true essence of what we need to do is to try to figure out how to break that down so individuals feel much more comfortable to come and actually talk about it. I mean, I think, I think for me that I was, I figured out pretty early on through a lot of reason, we read so much in those first few years, everything we could get our hands on. I think we've read pretty much every book out there. Um, but I learned pretty early on or figured out for myself pretty early on. I understood that Sophie's transition was about Sophie, not about me. It was not a reflection on that I was not a good enough partner or that I was not whatever, this was innately her and this is what she needed to do. And my decision was whether or not to stay and support her in that growth or not to stay because it was something that I couldn't do. And no disrespect to people who make the decision that they can't. No. Um, mm-hmm. But for us, we could. it would have been so much easier for both of us for many years if we had just you know, separated 18 years ago and gone our separate ways, have a nice life, have a ni- nice life. But that would not have been, I don't think, the right answer for us. No, and I've, I've, uh, I've been very lucky to, to continue to have this support of Denise. Uh, and uh, I wouldn't have been as successful in my transition without her doing it as an individual. Um, I mean, she's been my support system. And uh, without that, uh, I don't know you know, where I'd be, uh, or, or the person I would be without her. So, yeah. uh, you know, that's, it that's, goes both ways. Awesome. Well, yeah. I, I thought, so, let me, let me, let me interject here really quick. Um, Denise, did you ever feel that, uh, one thing my wife would say is why, why wasn't she enough for me not to transition? Did you ever, did you ever feel that way? Well, it's interesting because I've heard you ask that question before. I think you asked it when you were talking with Robin and Annette. Um, mm-hmm. And no, I never, I never questioned that because I came to understand early on that this had nothing to do with me. It was just whether or not mm-hmm. I could be broad-minded enough, open-minded enough. Um, and the, the, this person who I loved pre-transition, this person now is just a happier, more joyous, enhanced version of that same person because that stress of being under the dysphoria is gone. Yes, she's a high maintenance princess. Had I known that, <laughs> that might have changed my mind early on. Oh, that's funny. Um, yes, 
that might have made a difference. But um, you know, sort of that that cloud that we did that I didn't even realize necessarily was there um, is now gone. So she's just she's just a better version of a of the person mm-hmm. that I had a great relationship with. You know, I'm, I'm that's awesome. I love that answer. Yeah. 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 Well, so it, I, I never had that feeling. But I'll tell you the funniest, just as a because it, it's kind of funny, the weirdest situation where I had to. I had to explain Sophie's transition happened oddly enough, which is kind of funny at my mom's funeral, um, which was uh, in November of 2018, 2019, Um, you know, friends came to pay respects at the, the funeral home and some colleagues that I had worked with in the past that I was no longer working with came and they had met, you know, Sophie pre-transition and sort of knew her socially. And so they said, oh, where's, you know, them? I want to go pay my respects to them. It's like, um, can you come here into this little room off the off the uh, viewing room? Because I need to tell you something before you see them again. Because they don't look the same as the last time you saw them. So that's kind of the funniest little story that we have about uh, no. yeah, having to out yeah. you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> But everybody else has been amazing. I mean, we we realize how blessed we are with the support of friends and family. We don't feel like we have really lost anyone significantly. No. No one has walked away from no. either of us. There are some who don't want to talk about it. And, you know, that's fair enough. Um, um, you know, and there's questions that we don't necessarily want certain people. Uh, you know. Yeah, we're not, we're not obliged to answer every exactly. question put yeah, to exactly, it. Yeah. We can't yeah. say no. Yeah. Exactly. But we recognize that we're very lucky that we have not. I mean, we know how many people have lost people in their lives who just couldn't cope with it. So yeah. we're lucky that we've had support of family, work, friends. Um, but honestly, your your show and, and similar things like this are so, so, so important. So I hope you know how much value you bring. Um, just well, being, you. being yourselves and being so transparent and open. And you you allow us to be brave back because you say you project that it's okay to be honest and tell your story and Mm -hmm. and tell your, your raw truth, painful Mm -hmm. or not. Right. Yes. As an aside, I want, I wanted to just say um, going back like one subject or so, there will always be people who you forget to tell. And years after you've transitioned, it, they will come into your life and you'll go, Oh my God, I forgot to tell them. And, and <laughs> like, and it becomes really awkward after a certain point because it's like, okay, how do I tell these people? And like where you had a plan for everybody, you, you didn't have a plan for these people. And it, it, it become, mm. that's the awkward set. And it's uh, almost hilarious sometimes, even at a funeral. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. I still have some of that to go. So it's like coming out is the gift that keeps giving mm-hmm. again and again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's this thing going around on the internet right now. Um, you know, what it looks like at the start of Trump and what it looks like at the end of Trump. Oh yeah. Coming into yeah. Trump. Yeah. Coming, yeah. I have one of those. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so pulled up this picture of her four years ago and I looked at it and I, it was like, who is that? I, uh, so much difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't even recognize that that person now. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that's it's, it's interesting because uh, my uh, ex-partner, obviously, which is still my, like I said, uh, my friend, we still live together and that kind of thing. But one of the biggest things that I found is we were at odds with each other. I mean, cl- so close to total destruction. And I mean, obviously, I've spoken about it, that where it mm-hmm. went from one very far <laughs> end to the very far <laughs> other end. But one of the things that uh, Lil always says to me is that how much she changed and how much she had to learn about herself to realize and make the relationship that we have now work. And we have both said to each other, our relationship is way better now than it ever was during the time that we were together in the in the relationship. So as much as uh, we find out who we are as individuals being trans, our spouses or the people or partners or however you want to reflect upon that, how much they truly have to change as well. But if you can get that connection, the dynamic can be amazing. And also you learn so much about so many things. Like I've always said, I'm a completely, totally and completely different person than what I was post, you know, post-op in, in comparison to pre. So now, geez, my personality has completely changed. So is hers. You know, and I mean, it's something that where that's very rare that for having that occur, because people truly need to know that they want to change um, in order to be able to make things work. They yeah. can't just have certain thought processes that say, no, I'm not doing this, you know. Well, it becomes more authentic. So it, it, it becomes a better relationship. Whatever happens to the relationship, it is better in the long run, I think, because it is authentic now. You are the real you. The people interact with you as the real you, and and you, you can't do better than that. That's what everyone should be striving for in life: is people to realize who you really are and to interact with you on that level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always, I, we both agreed early on from the process that you know the ultimate end goal for both of us was just get to the point where we were trans survivors. I like that very much. Survivors <laughs> uh, <laughs> where. You know, when someone says, if you had, to, if I had to describe my life today, that it's just, you know, we're an old, boring married couple who's been married for a long time. It's not, I don't, I don't, I don't publicly say I'm married to a trans woman. You know, it's just about, we had to go through this process, her, me, us together, but now it's just back to normal life. You know, who took out the garbage last week? Yeah, which, which is all, it's not the trans garbage. It's not the trans right. chore. You know, they're just chores. Yeah. What, who's picking up the takeout for dinner tonight? Like that's, that was both of our goals ultimately to just sort of get back, back to this real, just sort of normal life with the realization. And it's certainly not something that we actively hide in any manner. No. And we both want to support the community and help people however we can help them. Um, it's not a secret where we are very open and transparent about it, but by the same token, the transness of Sophie does not define mm-hmm. her specifically or our marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. Transgender. It's a thing we have. I don't, I don't see transgender as being my identity. Right. First of all, I'm, I'm a woman who happens to be transgender. I'm also blue-eyed and diabetic. Hardcore. I'm nearsighted as hell. So <laughs> it's like, those aren't my identities either. Yeah. You know? 
Quickly. So I don't walk around with the trans flag as a cape when I go to the grocery store. It's you know no. not a thing that or a T on my forehead or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Just want to live life. Yes, yeah. exactly. Just want to mm-hmm. live life. Yeah. yeah. It quickly became a non-subject. It it, mm-hmm. it really did. Right. Non-issue. Yeah. yeah. Um, Until she wants to go shopping yet again and get another pair of whatever boots. <laughs> High maintenance. High maintenance. I miss shopping. I miss shopping. But you know, there's plenty of other women, cis women, that are the same way. So it's not a it's not a trans thing. We just fair point. You know, have to build up quickly. I think one two. I think one thing that spouses. This actually just occurred to me that spouses really need to know and understand, or partners need to know and understand, is that transitioning is a very expensive process mm-hmm. um, to do well. And last week we were talking about uh, the laser and the electrolysis, um, you know, that huge expense. And then surgeries that may not be covered by health plans, mm-hmm. provincial or private. Um, but even just, you know, an entire, purchasing an entire new wardrobe. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. And, and yeah. figuring that out, figuring out your style, buying stuff and going, Oh, that doesn't work. And that's that right. Work. No. And that's right. Can I say something funny that's totally going to embarrass her? But it's really funny. <laughs> Don't ask them. Ask me. Can I say something that's really going to embarrass uh, you? That's totally funny. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so early on in the transition days, now we're talking real life versus your perception of life, right? So oh, early on, when when uh, she first started to build her wardrobe, and this was even before she came out, we were just kind of she's dressing at home and stuff. I almost had a, an attack from laughing so hard one day because she said to me at one point that she had to have enough bras and panties because your bra always matches your panties every day of the week. No, really? you, yeah. <laughs> I, I missed that memo. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't say that. I received I, permission. Oh, I was laughing so hard. I almost fell off the couch, I think. I, I, I'm going to just confess something now. Mine are matching right now. So. <laughs> yeah, but do they every single day, Nikki? Always? Uh, no. Yes. Well, you, you do have a very, you do have a very elevated fashion sense though. So. Okay. My, mine, mine don't. And I don't know if they ever do actually. I don't yeah, think no, of that. I think that's true for most women. Yes. Well, if they do, they just happen to. I don't really think about it, you know. I don't I'd know. Like to apologize to any of my coworkers that are presently listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of opens up a Pandora's box, doesn't it? Yes. Like, oh my God. Yeah. TMI. TMI. So I want to go in a different direction here because I think it's important that we kind of explore different things. So that wasn't a different about, direction. Yeah, so there is a different direction here, and, and it's more to, to, to the side of acceptance through the fire department with Sophie, because obviously I think this is something that um, people need to hear. Now, I mean, obviously we know um, the fire department, police departments, all of that are extremely alpha, okay? And even the women that work in the fire departments, there's a lot of, you know, equality downfalls and teasing and all sorts of things that go on. So, Sophie, can you explain how the fire department has, you know, they, they've said they've accepted you. And obviously you are, it's amazing that you've gotten to where you are. And I know it's all based on who you are. It's not based on anything else or tokenism or any of that sort of stuff. 
But how has that fire department really embraced just the equality side of it, not only for yourself, but maybe for just cisgender women that are in the fire department or anything like that? How do you see that? Let me tell you what I think has happened in the the last decade or so. We've been hiring and attempting to hire very well-educated, very savvy, very worldly people, new recruits, people that are in their 20s, people that have an innate sense of what is right and wrong. They've grown, come up through the school system uh, being educated that equality and diversity and inclusivity is very important, and they, they understand that. So... These 20-somethings, they're setting the pace, they're setting the tone for these organizations now. And there's and when they hear people, older people, uh, you know, the Fred Flintstone types saying, blah, 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 you know, gays, this, that, they say, no, I don't accept that. And, and even if you are my superior officer, I won't let you say that, and I'll call you out on that. And it has changed the tone of the organization. And um, I have friends on the police service as well, and they see the same thing. The tone of the organization is being changed by the, these younger, very well-educated people who, who know better and will not accept homophobia, transphobia, misogyny. They won't accept that anymore. So the, the organization has changed and it reflects how a society, a Canadian society has changed with it. I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not blinded to the fact that various parts of the country still have a ways to go, and and I do know people that have, have moved from, in your instance, Alberta to to Ontario, so that they can be out within the fire service, and they can be out within the police service, where they really didn't feel that acceptance. Uh, in the more conservative areas of the country, so that still has to come, you know, a bit further. I, you know, I, I, I had discussions with my superior officers just after I came out and they said, you know, you wouldn't have been able to do this five years ago. You would have come up against a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, not that we didn't want you to succeed, but, you, you know, you, you know, as well as we, we do, the problems you would have had. And I agreed with them. And I agreed that uh, Canadian society and it has changed as well. And we reflect that, and and part of it is perhaps the political parties that are you know in power right now. I think they do set the tone. Uh, they certainly set the laws, um, and that all filters down. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really important to to um, understand how far we've come within you know the public service, yeah. uh, and and to embrace that, and 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 to make sure we don't fall backwards and. Right. Uh, People that are listening down in the, the southern states or any uh, other place that, you know, they're still struggling with that. Um, you know, I, I feel for you. I really do. It, it will come and it will be a much better work environment and, and just have faith. Yeah, that's well, You know, I was I was the second person to transition in state government here in Alabama. And I didn't know about the other person until after I had come out of work and my HR uh, person at the agency I work for in the state government told me that there had been another one. And she is probably the reason why I wasn't fired because she sued for her job that was back in 2010 and she won. I don't know of anybody else who's transitioned. I am like it. And it was terrifying. 
because I had no idea, no clue as to how it would go. I had no protections on the state level uh, to not be fired here in Alabama, and there still are none. And I had some federal protection. That, that was all. That, that may have been the saving grace for me at the time. So, yeah, I hope, you know, looking at statistics, there's like 30,000 state employees here in Alabama. There ought to be at least 300 of us, something like that. I don't, I don't know of any others. I mean, it's, it's a daunting thing here in this Republican, very red, very conservative state to be trans and come out at work. That is a terrifying thing. Yeah, totally. You know, and I, I said to my superiors, and we work in an organization of 3,500 people, and I said, just based on the odds, I guarantee you there's probably 10 or 20 of us on the mm -hmm. job. And I said, it's not a matter of if someone else will do it. It's when. So yeah, yeah, it's when. Thing. I wanted to be a role. It happen. Yeah, and it, it will happen. And it's interesting. I, Canada, the Canadian Fire Services is, you know, a smaller group than in the States, obviously. And uh, I only know of, you know, less than 10 that are out in trans throughout Canada. And uh, that's a small number, and that's it's a small part of the true number. So um, I'm I am out, and I'm proud, and I I try to voice myself and be out in the public as much as possible, and uh, to show not only the public that it's possible, but to show my coworkers throughout Canada that it's possible, mm -hmm. and um, that is hugely important for yeah. us. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the greatest testaments is. Um, so when Sophie came out at work, it was very important for her to be the one that told her crew. I mean, she, at the time she was captain, these people, you know, she was in charge of that crew. She needed to maintain their respect um, because in a, in an emergency situation, you don't want somebody questioning your authority. Um, so she wrote a, a, her own little speech to give them. But uh, one thing that's really telling is that one of her senior officers, you know, that morning when she went in quaking like a leaf, because this was the day, um, she did her thing. And of course, because of the access now of social media within, you know, two seconds of the word transgender exiting her mouth, everybody was texting everybody. So, you know, the entire fire department, yeah, exactly. you know, knew within the space of minutes that this had happened. Um, but one of her senior officers stood up after she spoke and this, this person said to the, the crew that was there, the, and there were senior officers and the, the preceding crew and the incoming crew were there. And, and he said to the assembled group, she is still the same captain with the same, you know, 30 years of experience on the fire ground and her knowledge does not change. And her ability to do this job does not change simply because, two things are happening today. One, you're going to start calling her by a different name. And one, she's going to start using a different bathroom. Everything else is exactly the same. And your treatment of her should stay exactly the same other than trying to remember to use the, well, I guess there's three because the pronouns, but pronouns, yeah. um, you know, outside of that, this is the exact same person who's done a really good job thus far. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a key important message that needed to be heard. Um, and so basic, but mm. very, very true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then well, so, so many people think that all of a sudden we became transgender. It's like, no, I've been dealing with this 
all my life, you just weren't aware of it. Yeah. Exactly. Like, no. Just think of that. I've been dealing with this and doing my job and doing it well. Yeah. And everything being okay. You just know about it now. Yeah. That's the only difference. And yeah. so now Sophie does go out and speak on as a representative of Toronto Fire. She spoke uh, last year at the International Women's um, International Women's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done a couple other things. You did a one with there were members of the armed surf. I can't remember the cops were there. Armed forces. Yeah. Um, you know, and she's a great representative for the fire department because it's not about her being transgender. It's just about her being a person in this role who happens to be an, an underrepresented minority, but who has a passion for the job and does a great job in the job. Are we getting any questions from viewers? Uh, no, lots of statements though. Um, just a few no. there, but not any mm-hmm. true questions per se at this point. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that was mentioned there. But he's just listening. Yeah, I think one of the things that is. They're all that captivating that everyone's just listening to us today. Yeah, so one of the things that I heard was the fact that the political Mm -hmm. powers that be determine and dictate what actually occurs and happens throughout society. Um, In some ways, I think that's surface level. But where it is truly different and transformation on the transformational level is places like Stonewall 100. When you take a look at all of the major organizations, even throughout the U.S., uh, even in the U.K., in Canada, really, truly, they're still pushing their own policies on acceptance, diversity, diversity, inclusion, changing, uh, you know, because these corporations are starting to realize, um, like you mentioned, Sophie, that individuals are bringing in a knowledge base and they're looking for companies that are diverse and inclusive in order for them to be able to to work for that company. And Mm -hmm. the thing is, companies are starting to realize that, you know, from a recruiting perspective, how important it is. That's number one. But number two is, is that there, I think people are starting to realize that you're absolutely, you know, and we've all said it, it's not this, it's what we bring to the table. It's who we truly are. It's our knowledge base. It's what we have and experiences. It's everything. And like Terry said, it kind of at the beginning of the show there, what better people to have as project managers and everything else with what we've gone through, plus the knowledge base that we're bringing from either universities or whatever. And you take a look at it. We had Vicki Hodges on the show um, in an interview. She's in aerospace. I mean, they have a full diversity and inclusion program there. They have a lot of people that are coming out in their organization. That's a 60,000 person organization. And they're at the forefront. You look at Mercedes-Benz, you look at all of these other organizations that are out there. So even though we see the front surface uh, kind of hitting us hard and all of that from the political side and all of that, I still truly believe there is underlying change that's occurring and happening that is going to take us through the next yeah. decades that we're in, in business, in business, and, and, business and, and, and is becoming our ally because they see how valuable we are as employees, the Absolutely. knowledge base that we have on average, trans people are more educated oh. than the average person. We hold more degrees, we have more education and whatnot. We're very intelligent people. And, you know, like Nikki you reiterated what I said earlier, to do a gender gender transition is a hell of a project, and to complete complete one on budget, on time, and successfully, 
Mm-hmm. It's a huge feather in our hat, I think. And dealing with people, number one factor. How do you deal Mm -hmm. with people? How do you, you know, because I think uh, from what I've seen in all of the experiences, individuals that I've talked to that have transitioned, we're way more open-minded. We're way more accepting. We realize and understand what a minority is like. You know, even though all of us here, and I'll say it, we all have white privilege but I think it's also brought to the forefront of us on acceptance of everybody and who we are, you know, and it's more than just, uh, well, you're this or you're that or you're this. No, we truly believe in a unified force. And, and we believe in that. It doesn't matter if I was to ask anybody here, it would be like, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, culture, anything, you know, we would look at it as, well, what do you bring to the table? Mm-hmm. That would be the only thing that we really truly think is important, yeah. right? It's not the outside. I think we all truly believe it's what's on the inside that counts and what you bring it's, in that regard. It's what it should always be, no matter your color, your authenticity, your national origin, none of that should matter. It should be about who you are inside, not your color, not your gender, not your sexuality, none of that. Well, it's not important. How many cis people have to go through that? Oh, well, what kind of sex are you? Oh, what do you have between your legs? Oh, what do you, uh, do you know, you know, how, how does that work? You know, it, it, you know, yeah. that it just, it's ridiculous. So we are now, uh, so you started something here, Sophie. Everybody's now asking questions. Uh, <laughs> oh, good, good. That's but I think good. some of them have already been answered, but I just want to go over them really quickly. Uh, Vicki Hodges has come back uh, in, who was on our show. Um, she says, how has the fire service changed their policies on trans employees the because the fire services are uh, a government organization it's it's the various levels of government that in canada at least have put in very firm policies of inclusivity you know it's enshrined in our provincial and our federal human rights codes uh, and and um, the fire service has to toe that line they have to uh, reflect that uh, they have an obligation, not just legally, but morally. So that's that's how it has changed. And, and in Canada, it is very uh, clear cut that there will be no discrimination uh, against people based on gender identity or gender expression or sexuality. And um, not only that, but they, they, they've actively, um, they're actively recruiting within the, uh, the various communities to increase our, our numbers within the ranks. So that, 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 and you didn't see that even a decade ago. It's, it's extraordinary the change that has happened over the last decade in the Canadian fire service. I don't know a way, uh, what's happening in the states. Uh, obviously, the, the, the larger departments certainly will, will by now have policies in place. But I've also heard some horror stories. So, um, uh, and people are deciding who, which departments to join based on those stories. So if you don't have an inclusive employment po- policy, you are closing the door on mm-hmm. some very top-notch uh, recruits, some very well-educated recruits. And in, it, you're shooting yourself in the foot by doing that. So uh, my advice to these departments is get on the ball and become inclusive. Yeah. You will become a better organization because of that. Oh, for sure. Great. Um, Denise, uh, another question coming in, and it asks, can you describe how you transitioned your family 
into the news of your partner transitioning and the who accepted and how had, you know, the most of the issues were, uh, you know, handled? Sure. Um, so in our situation for what we did, um, I'll be honest and tell you, this was a little bit of a point of contention between the two of us because uh, I had to respect where Sophie's comfort level was. And because she wasn't out uh, and at the time, we live very close to the fire hall that she was working at. Like, she actually walked to work. That's how close it was. Um, so we were being very careful about where we were being seen and, and whatnot. Um, so Sophie decided at the time she, with her comfort level, she was comfortable telling her mother and her sibling um, quite a while before she felt comfortable enough for me to tell my my family. Um, and I think it was her perception at the time that, you know, they would have different views. Um, she perceived that my family being more religious than her family was that, you know, there would be whole, that whole aspect of, of it. Um, and that she would have a harder time. My mom, you know, was quite a bit older and she was worried about my mom's understanding and acceptance of, of it. And, uh, I, I think too, as base as I had brothers, uh, she has a sister and you don't, you know, it's kind of a bit, you don't want to necessarily go into too much detail with, with the boys about the mechanics of, of what you're doing, very private. Um, so it, there was a very hard period for me, I'll be honest, for about a year where, where her mom and sister knew before I was allowed to tell. I don't even know if you realized at the time that, that was putting a lot of pressure on me Probably uh, at not, that no. time. Um, and uh, anyways, when I was finally able to, to sit down, I sat down, um, you know, with them in groups because they don't all live together. Um, and we had immediate acceptance from everybody. And it, the, what it came down to, I think, for my family was they wanted to know if I was happy and if I had made the decision to stay because it was the right decision for me versus did I make the decision to stay because it was easier than leaving. Um, and once I explained how I felt about Sophie and that we were, um, you know, in this together for the long haul and happy to continue what was already a good relationship, then they were very accepting. Okay. If you're, as long as you're okay, then we're okay. And most of them switched, um, you know, the names and pronouns relatively quickly um you know honestly both my brothers were like please don't tell me details I don't want to know and I'm like I'm okay with that because I don't want to tell you those things either um <laughs> right and um uh, don't ask don't tell don't ask, don't right? that's right um and so they were they were very good occasionally you know a family member or a friend even will still and in your family too will still occasionally get a pronoun wrong but for the most part yeah. I think everybody tries really hard and is very respectful and it's become not a topic of conversation the no. transition part is not you know she's now Sophie um occasionally I think there's a bit of confusion sometimes about what do you refer to the person as pre-transition do you call them by their dead name if you're referring to something that happened before transition or not and my answer to that to all my family and my friends was always she's always been Sophie. She just didn't live that way for a long time. So if you talk about something that Sophie did in 1980, I'll know who you're talking about. You don't have to use the dead That's name. Right. Yeah, we'll figure it out. 
So, but yeah, we, and again, we recognize we've been, we've been blessed. Um, you know, people, whether people are open-minded because they truly are open-minded or they're only accepting it because I accept it. It doesn't really matter to me at the end of the day. It's just that they continue to support me and support us together. So. Awesome. Great. Good. Um, Good. That's a wonderful story. Yeah. Love, love to hear stories like that rather than the other where, you know, you're yeah. treated like a pariah and not invited yeah. to family yeah. so situations funny. and are constantly misgendered and, and dead named and, yeah. you know, on and on and on and on. Right. So I got we got another question here. Well, a statement, actually, um, that Laura had made and she listens to our podcast. And this is the first time she's actually joined us on Facebook Live. Didn't know it even existed. But well, welcome, Laura. Uh, greatly appreciate you showing up. Uh, she says she works in the aerospace industry and struggles with working under engineers who refuse to listen to her suggestions because she's a trans woman. Uh, she has about 10,000 hours in training and a certification and often proving everybody else wrong. And she says the struggle is truly real. Um, or is it, is it because she's trans or she's just a woman now? And yeah, then it and I guess gets that into would the be, whole mansplaining one, one and that thing. you're a woman and sure. you can't know what you're talking about because you're a woman. That. <clears throat> I noticed a slight change uh, at work after I transitioned. Um, I certainly noticed that in, in certain instances with certain individuals, I had to be a lot more forceful in 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 um, in my orders and in my directions uh, on the fire ground and in, in the station as well. Um, but those instances are few and far between. Um, we live in a very, uh, we work in a very um, rank oriented um, uh, organization. So uh, I had that on my shoulders literally to, as, to fall back on. So, um, but yeah, if you are in more of a corporate world, I can see how that is, that, that would be happening, that uh, things mm -hmm. would change. And then that's just, Unfortunately, it's the way humans interact still in a lot of cases, isn't it? Yeah. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, Laura. That's, you know, and obviously not the stories that we want to hear. Um, keep advocating for yourself. Um, keep repeating your ideas. It's important that you don't lose your voice. No, for sure. Um, it re actually reminds me of a story. I was uh, sitting on the board of directors of a construction company, and uh, I don't know. I guess there was like fifteen people in there, and the only two women that were there was was myself, which the VP and the president knew who I was and that I had transitioned, and uh, the architect who was also a woman, uh, cisgender. And I remember everybody discussing and talking about stuff, and I had this idea, and I kept trying to say something, but every all the guys would cut me off. Right, I stood up and my fist on the table and I said I have something to say and the VP just started giggling like you could see he was all trying to hold it back right um, and, and uh, it shocked everybody at the table but the idea was is that all of a sudden now it's like hold it whoa maybe we better listen I explained something that I needed to get out it resolved the situation that everybody was talking about and after that point forward, people would then start to listen to what I had to bring to the table. But just like uh, Sophie said, sometimes you have to do that. You have to be forceful. You have to come to the center stage. Sometimes you got to put yourself out there. And, you know, honestly, in that position with me, I could have lost it, lost the job 
as the contractor, everything. It could have just gone really, really bad. But after the meeting, the VP came back over to me and said, that was the best thing you ever could have done. Right. And with full backing and everything. So I think, yeah, you just kind of got to let people know and, and, you know, just keep talking about it and trying to get it out there and making sure people hear what you've got to say, because I think it's important. And again, from a quality perspective, even just regular, you know, cisgender women have this problem and have had for decades. You know, they're still fighting for equality, still fighting for equal pay, where, you know, all of this sort of stuff. So again, I think it's not so much being trans. I think it's just women have to stand up. That's right. Take a stand. And we can stand up for our cis sisters. Yes. I mean, we we work on our voices, so we sound more feminine and and whatnot, but we can always drop back down to a male (laughs) voice, and that gets their attention really. (laughs) Oh, it does, yes. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things I was introduced to after I transitioned at work was there's this entire subculture within the fire department of women and LGBT members who are supporting each other and, and, and lifting each other up. And I didn't know that existed. And that the guys on the department don't know that exists, but it does. And I think that's probably the same in many organizations where you do have this, it's not a click, it's it's a necessity, a subculture that uh, a support system. Yeah, here we go back Mm -hmm. to support systems where you don't even know it exists till you become a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. And I think obviously with the minority thing, when we all come from white privilege as being white privileged males coming to where we are now, you know, not only are you joining the ranks of all of the other women, well, you're way below the other women, too, because, well, where we stand in stature as being in that minority of the minority of the minority kind of thing. Right. So, yeah, I think that unification between ourselves and like you had mentioned, Sophie, with the LGBTQ community and the cis community and unifying and trying to move things forward. I think it's amazing. Um, You know, I have to commend you both. Mm. Uh, for your story, um, what you've gone through, um, you know, your experiences, how you're standing up, how you're making change. Um, I think it's fantastic uh, all the way around. And Denise, I think, you know, um, setting up a support group for, uh, you know, uh, spouses. Yeah, I think if you could ever do that, I think that would be amazing. I think. I, love boy, it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, feel free to you know, put my email address in there or, and also you can put my phone number in there. If anybody ever wants to, to reach out, I'm more than happy to, um, you know, I haven't been able to, to do that successfully yet. I, and I think it goes back to what you said. People are afraid. Um, as you said earlier, Nikki, if they won't even talk to a therapist, you know, why do they want to talk to somebody they, they don't know? Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes there's value in talking to your, to, somebody you don't know because there you don't have that fear of having to hold back because what opinion are they going to have of me because they know me you just get the opportunity to have the raw unvarnished truth and say this is the experience that I went through here's what I learned from it here's what I wish I knew mm-hmm. and here's you know maybe a way I can help or just as a resource so feel free to um um uh, I can type my email address in here and my phone number and, and anybody would like to reach out, Canada well, or you? I, I'm going to make sure that I protect you because obviously we sometimes have people that are mm-hmm. seeing things that we yeah. don't want. So I'll tell like you what. Trolls. We, yeah. 
we can you can forward that to me and then I will screen and then if I feel that there's somebody that uh, need, sure. really, really needs your help and that then we'll definitely pass it on but we need okay, to protect perfect. protect you as well yeah uh, no question yeah. I, I know of someone that, that part, right? because I'm just so info on to who was yeah. on our show previously I think yeah, I am. Um, I'm just so I just want to help people, and I forget that part that you also all go through a very hard time with uh, turfs and all kinds of other because I don't have that experience. So um, yeah. I'll send that to you via DM. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, yeah, because I think uh, well, Terry and I both go through, go through this all the time with the turfs and all of the other stuff that goes yeah. on. Because I go at them; they don't bother me. I don't. Oh, I get very. They, I just block people. Yeah. Huh? Well, I just block people. One of the yeah. things that I have found, and of course on different platforms, and I mean, obviously I'm not on Twitter anymore because I've kind of pulled away from that uh, for various reasons. Um, but one of the things that I am finding is, is that uh, I am on TikTok now, um, you know, and I'm starting to gather a pretty big following already. It's growing. But the point being is, is that I've gone in there, um, talked about stuff, and of course you get the haters. Do I block them? Mm -hmm. No. Why? Because I think they need to be educated. Um, the other side is I can't believe the support that I get from people defending me when certain things are huh? said, which is amazing. And I think that's why I like that platform better, because uh, you, you truly get people defending you that are cisgender, that are I don't even know, I've never even seen before. And they're like, what are you doing? Don't attack her, you know, and all of that sort of stuff. So again, I don't block them because I think you need to educate. Um, now, again, if it's continually malicious and all of that sort of stuff, then I'll report them, mm -hmm. right? But again, I think the more we can educate, the better it is. So, well, once mm -hmm. again, we are like, believe it or not, we are like, flying through the time as always um you know we're at an hour and a half now just a little over an hour and a half um so we try to cut it off around this point in time just purely because of the and i mean we could talk and talk and talk but that also <laughs> but that also gives us the excuse to have you on again uh, no i think, hate that yeah yeah so i mean and i think uh, obviously the you know, we need these kinds of conversations. We need to absolutely educate. We need to hear other people and how mm -hmm. they're going through their circumstances and situations. And, um, and spouses just, need to see other spouses. Absolutely. That they are there. They exist. They can have a successful marriage and continue their marriage to their spouse. That is doable. You don't have to be bisexual or in the closet yourself as a lesbian that you can be a heterosexual woman, stay that way, yep. and stay with your trans spouse. It can work. It yeah. can work. Yeah, and I sometimes wonder with the value that we've just uh, talked about in this show, maybe some cisgender women will start to say, oh, wait a minute, maybe I don't have to run away from this because they think that's what should be done because everybody else is doing it. You know, well, They get so much pressure. You know, yeah. They get so much pressure. You're yeah. going to be a lesbian. You know people are going to think you're a lesbian. Do you really want to be thought that way? You know, that whole 
what will people think? Oh my God, you need to think about that. That's very Southern. What will people yes. think? My word. <laughs> oh God almighty, honey. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, uh, we do really, really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story, a uh, very powerful story. Um, and we do thank you so much uh, for coming on. And we will definitely have you back on again. There's no question. We think that you have a wealth of knowledge that you can share with our audience. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. the discussions, I think, are extremely important to have. So, again, mm-hmm. um, thank you so much. And so, as of that, we want to thank our audience and everybody for listening um, and that. And uh, thank you again. Uh, we always appreciate everybody that does listen to our show. We do try to educate. It's the best yes, way. Yes, we, we love can. our audience. You know, we love we do our, love our audience. audience. Love the comments uh, and no questions. Question. So thanks for listening to Trans Talk Raw. Uh, have a great Saturday. Have a great weekend. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. So everybody, Absolutely. take care. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Trans Talk Raw. This episode has been brought to you by transgenderlifecoaching.com. Please head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Time for us girls to party. Join us again for our next episode of Trans Talk Raw.